Words are about to be spoken on the extreme life of Matt Hardy, presented to you exclusively by Podcast Heat and AdFreeShows.com. I, of course, am John Alba, joined as I am every single week for the past year now. Yes. By the broken one, the woken one, the spoken one himself, Mr. Matt Hardy. We are celebrating one year of the extreme life of Matt Hardy. Congratulations to you, man. You, you. You stuck it out a year with me. I, I empathize with you on that one. I'm a proud papa. We've got a one-year-old, John. <laughs> uh, yes, the, the one hardy child that was not birthed from the womb of Queen Rebecca. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah. instead from the Adam's apple of John Alba. Uh, yeah. We let it play out over the course of a year, Matt Hardy. And uh, man, what a year it has been. I'm so grateful that we've had a chance to do this program and entertain thousands of fans around the world telling great stories, man. It's truly an honor. It's been a blast, man. I, I've really enjoyed it. And it's so cool that uh, we're going into 53 weeks now. How about that? 53 weeks. We got 30 more to catch up to Eric Bischoff, I hear. <laughs> <laughs> but which, when you think about that, think about how insane it's been our run. You had 30 weeks onto that, and that's how long consecutively WCW beat WWE. Isn't that just insane? It it is. I mean, especially looking how things ultimately turned out. It is crazy. They had that kind of run. It was was good for the business, though, brother. Good for the business. Yes, it was. Matt and I have a very special episode planned for you this week about one of the goats, John Cena himself. He just returned on SmackDown as we taped this last week. Word life. Oh, we're going to get to that in just a little bit. I promise you that. And we're going to talk all about John Cena, a guy that Matt's had probably a few more encounters with than you, you might imagine on the surface level. But uh, I, before we do that, I, I really do want to just take a minute, Matt, look back on this last year. Uh, January 7th is when we dropped that first mm-hmm. episode. Uh, what a lot of people don't know, that first episode, we had full on chaos trying to tape that thing. Do you remember the disaster yeah. that we dealt with trying to get Brother Nero in there and the internet going down? It was chaos. Yeah, we were uh, in the middle of the forest in the Hardy compound. So uh, internet is not uh, a strong suit there. Mm-mm. And we were genuinely concerned, myself and Josh Odom, who was producing at the time. Yeah. We were concerned. We're like, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this podcast. Like if, if we, if this is how it's going to look every single week, I just, yeah. when, when you and I were planning out this podcast, I never thought about that, that that would even be a concern that we would have. And then uh, we managed to adapt. And every single week here on the extreme life, you see Matt Hardy is in a different location. That's because he's so committed to the show. He tapes it on the road and we tape it very late tonight, Matt, because you guys just got done taping the first dynamite and dark elevation of 2023. That is correct. Yeah, it was a it was a hell of a night in Seattle, and what a great audience it was in Seattle. Thank you guys so much. Uh, did you see it? Did it come off on television? On I thought it was amazing. I thought it was one of the best episodes of Dynamite we've ever seen. Frankly, uh, the energy was just incredible. Uh, the matches delivered great. I mean, what a moment for Darby Allen uh, to yeah. beat Samoa Joe like that. Uh, incredible segment with MJF and Brian Danielson as well. I, MJF saying his favorite, most respected men in wrestling were Disco Inferno, Eric Bischoff, and Jim Fournette. Was a, <laughs> oh. It was. A, I, Give I, me the heat. I 
I texted Eric Bischoff what happened. I go, you know, MJF just dropped you for heat. And he goes, he knows how to get heat. (laughs) (laughs) Not wrong about that, man. Uh, Really great. What do you think of the new uh, AW Dynamite set? Uh, It's interesting. I I think it was a good time to make a change. Uh, You know, it really is representing a a new era of AW. I mean, it it feels like that. And I, I think it was about time. It's time to switch things up a little bit. Would you say your time is now? (laughs) <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah. you can't see me it looked great matt uh, the, the whole presentation was great uh you had a chance to get ready for next week with dark elevation i, I gotta tell you i'm a little bummed here and mark quinn's gonna be out for a little bit uh yeah we we don't know how long it's going to be specifically uh we're still awaiting the information if he can like just rehabilitate his injury and, uh, you know, do therapy or if he actually has to have surgery. So, so we shall see, hopefully it is just a rehabilitation and we can get it back sooner than later. I was a big private party fan, even before they signed with AEW and right. I, it, it always just, it, it gave me great joy seeing how much you hit it off with them. And I, and I know that oh, right, yeah. so close to them. And I saw that firsthand when we had them on the show last year, how close right. you really have. And I'm sure since then you've grown even closer. Yeah, they're they're big marks too. They love to say. Oh, that. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I listen. I watch every entrance of yours that you do with Isaiah. There's nobody in the world happier in the moment than when Isaiah Cassidy <laughs> right. is marching down that ramp to the Hardy Boy theme song. Uh, just a, a little heads up. I'll give you the inside scoop here. Uh, this Monday on Elevation, it's going to be myself. Ethan Page and Isaiah in a trios tag match. Mm-hmm. And uh, we kind of have like a new dynamic going on right now, myself and Ethan. So it's, it's, it's getting ready to get very, very interesting, I think. Interesting. Okay. I'm, I'm tickle me intrigued, Matt yep. Hardy. I do want to get your thoughts real quick before we get into Cena. Wrestle Kingdom just went mm-hmm. down as we tape this as well. Right. Uh, Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay. You, you said you thought Will Ospreay was one of the best wrestlers in the world last week yeah, on our yeah, Hardy yeah. Awards, which you can find in the archives at extremehardy.com. Mm-hmm. He and Kenny Omega put on art. They made art. Oh, they, sure. they made art. You got to go check that match out. And I know you did get to see the debut of Mercedes Monet, the former Sasha Banks. Monet. Mercedes Monet. What do you think of this, man? This is a pretty significant turn of events. This is one of the biggest stars WWE had leaving on her own accord, seemingly, and right. giving it a shot. What do you make of it? Um, I mean, good, good for her. I mean, she, she really, Sasha or Mercedes, she really bet on herself. And, you know, it, it, it's hard for me not to appreciate that. Because I'm I'm one of those guys too where I, I feel like Vince always knew that too. Like I didn't have to be a WWE. I'm not afraid to, you know, step out of Alexandria, you know, a safe zone. Uh, you know, like I uh, kind of compare Alexandria from The Walking Dead to WWE. You know, if you stay inside and you have these walls, you can have like a nice life and it's safe and it's easy and you can make decent money and it's good. But you can go outside those walls and you can't survive on your own, but you have to hustle. You know, you definitely have to hustle. So I have Huge respect for anyone who is willing to leave WWE and go out and hustle on their own. And I, I think uh, Mercedes is killing it. She's doing a great job at keeping herself relevant, keeping herself in the conversations, uh, being a, a huge talking point in the wrestling business and showing up in, in New Japan and, and doing what she did was a big, big deal. Could you see a spot for her in AEW? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, without a doubt. I mean, I, I don't even know if that would start. As 
I could almost see her being a free agent for a while and just doing like uh, spots at AEW. I, I could definitely see that happening. And it, it wouldn't surprise me if she ends up showing up uh, this coming up dynamite as the, the mystery. Yeah, a lot part. of, a lot of yep. speculation that she could be. Uh, that, wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I don't know. I don't have that. You know, I don't have that information, but it wouldn't surprise easy me. Easy FIs. Easy. <laughs> Matt Hardy says the Mercedes huh, right. Monet is coming in. Matt doesn't know. He's simply offering an opinion here. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, what, what would someone like her do for the AEW locker room? Because she is a proven draw numbers wise. She is a proven draw both financially and viewership wise. She's one of the few true top stars in pro wrestling today, a crossover in her own right with the Mandalorian and beyond. Right. What would she do for you guys? I, I mean, it, it would be a big, she's a big star. I mean, there, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I mean, she she really has put a ton of equity on her name and on her character, on her you know identity as a pro wrestler, and uh, she's been able to continue to to hold that as she hasn't been working with WWE. You know, she's kept herself in the headlines, which is great. So her coming to AEW would be a big deal. I, I feel like in some ways it w- it would be very similar to almost like a Cody situation in some ways. It's like a huge jump left WWE and came to AEW. Reverse Cody. It would would have that feel, yeah. Interesting. And she's got Snoop. Don't forget, we love Snoop here. She does. Wow, wow, wow. Bow, wow, wow. We're talking about a different rapper this week, the man known as John Cena. Matt Hardy, we're celebrating one year of the extreme life of Matt Hardy by talking about one of the greatest to ever do it. So without further ado, please. Hit us with that Matt fact. Matt fact. Matt is proudly celebrating the podcast's first birthday. I love it. I love it. I am as well. Very proudly celebrating yeah. the first birthday. I'm a proud papa. Proud papa. It's, it's, you got, let's see, you got Maxwell, Wolfie, Barty, Evie. You got your biologicals. Yeah, in my bios, your bios, and Quinn. So, what does that make the podcast? And then I have extreme. Okay, all right, I like it. And just because it's also a new year, and uh, we're starting the second year, I uh, I feel like one more Matt fact. Okay, let's hear it. Matt fact: Matt is always motivated by a new year. What is it about a new year that just gets your jimmies going? Uh, I, I just feel like it's it's a it's a great time to feel like you can start anew. You know, if you're changing your diet, your exercise routine, if there's anything you want to make a resolution about, I feel like it's just such a prime time because you have a new calendar year, and there, there's something mentally about that that really makes it easier. I feel like to accomplish a goal. So I always get motivated whenever a new year comes around. Matt Hardy says as John sips caramel whiskey to his lips at 12:41 in the morning new year new me let me tell you new year new me and uh, i i i got to see the uh, space needle today too i took a picture i I think i'm gonna try and go tomorrow i hear Uh, you're a big mark for the space needle. a huge mark dude It, it like when i was a young kid it had a hold on me so the seattle i'll tell you how this all started so the seattle supersonics if you remember their logo it's like the outline right of Seattle and I thought the Space Needle was like the coolest looking building ever and I was like man if I get big I want to go there one day I want to go there and then uh, fortunately I was 
blessed to be a wrestler. I went and uh, I got to go there and I had like a great meal and a great dinner. And then it, it just kind of became a thing. Like if I come to Seattle, I have to go to Space Needle. Big uh, Sean Kemp guy, are you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sean Kemp was good. He was yeah, good. Great uh, very, very, very funny story, too. I started thinking about this today. It came back to me very quickly. Can you think of, see if you know this, John, off the top of your head, when was the last time Matt Hardy was in Washington State? In the Seattle, when, when Randy took you out, yeah, yeah, and uh, and, and I, I did I posted that because I was thinking about that, and I actually had a good conversation with Randy today and talked to him about his back and and whatnot, and saw how he was doing. Just like life is so crazy, but he said uh, he was glad too that he finally got to take down the eighty tons of Christmas decorations they had up. And I said, yeah, same, same here, bro. That's how it is. Our our, our wives are big Christmas. Yeah, people. you know I've met Randy's wife a time or two. Yeah, I, I know you have. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me whatsoever to hear that they went a little extreme on Christmas. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. There's a reason that John Alba keeps a bottle of Jameson on his desk. <laughs> it might yeah. have something to do with that. Right. Let's get down to business. John Cena, born April 23rd, 1977 in West Newbury, Massachusetts. Now, like you, he grew up a pretty big wrestling fan, Matt. He'd often yep. find himself making custom championship belts out of cardboard. He'd dress up as different wrestlers during his childhood. and He was a real not, one. He was a real one. And believe it or not, he was actually bullied a bit growing up. So as a result right. of being bullied, he asked for his first weightlifting bench when he was 12 years old. And I ask you, Matt, is there anything more appropriate than John Cena starting to lift at age 12? <laughs> and that's that, that. I mean, that's very on brand for John Cena. It's right. Of course. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so one of those wrestlers that he idolized growing up was Hulk Hogan. And I really want to circle back to Hogan later because mm -hmm. the parallels between Hogan and Cena are so fascinating to me. Very much so. He would move to California in 1998. I'm so excited to pick your brain on this. He'd begin training with Rick Bassman over at Ultimate Pro Wrestling, UPW. And he's working local shows there and he finds this character he lands on a character that talks like a robot he works like a robot referred to as the prototype this is almost wrestling lore right this upw stuff let's start with upw do you have any recollections about UPW specifically and what the California scene was like? Cause you're over out on the East coast. Right. What do you remember the West coast scene being like in the late nineties, early two thousands? You know, I like wasn't super familiar with it obviously because like we, we never made it out there doing Indies. You know, we were up and down the East coast, you know, places we could drive to. Uh, it, probably my biggest memory of UPW was just actually doing a shot for them after we were with WDB. It was uh, myself and Jeff and, Lita uh, versus the Ballard brothers. And I don't think it was Shirley or Melissa. It was Lexi Fife, maybe. Lexi Fife and the Ballard yeah. brothers. And, 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 uh, and it was like a they had a, a they drew great. They had a, a, a red hot rocking crowd. And, and it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. And Rick Bassman, man, he's always been like a hustler. Rick Bassman always has something he's pitching still to this day. He is, he is a hustler without a doubt. Like he's done a, a lot of interesting stuff in the wrestling business, but, uh, the UPW scene was was interesting. And being out there, I remember uh, John being out on this show and just how respectful he was. And he was just, you know, came up, introduced. Hello, sir. Nice to meet you, sir. Hello. Thank you. It's such an honor and a pleasure to have you here. He just was always a super respectful 
guy, and he he was really trained the right way when it came to that aspect of the business. Rick Bassman is, again, he's the trainer here. He's one of the true unsung heroes of that era. There was so much talent that came through UPW, and yep. as you said, it was kind of used as this auxiliary developmental right. territory where WWE would send people out there maybe to get some work or to sh- just showcase them. Or, or get someone that they might want to sign to developmental some reps. This is a guy in Rick Bassman who produced the likes of Cena, Samoa Joe, Christopher Daniels, The Miz, among many, many others here. And the prototype is the one that catches a lot of people's eyes. What do you remember about the prototype gimmick? I I remember when he would come, whenever we were in on the West Coast, and whenever they would come to TV, I remember a, a lot of people were critical of his gimmick. I feel like in the, in the office, that is, that's one thing I remember. Like, ah, uh, you know, I, I love this guy. He's got a great look. And I, I know Vince, when Vince saw him, he had to fall in love with him, you know, because Vince is a real man's man. And you've got someone who works out and busts his ass and he has this incredible physique. And, you know, li- little did he know he had all this incredible personality, you know, because he was playing a robot that was very high. I am the prototype. Um, but no, I, I, I think John had an amazing look. Um, a killer physique. He just, uh, I feel like they really wanted him to adapt some other type of personality. There's a great irony in it because the prototype gimmick would have been thrust on Monday Night Raw in 1995. (laughs) Right. Like, would have been put right on television. Yeah. I I remember listening, it might have even been on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, where they were talking about the prototype and they said, you know, on the surface level, it was just a guy that talked in this regimented way and sounding like a robot, but he would then cut promos backwards or he would have like self malfunctions and pull it together. So he was showcasing these different layers, right? How quick on his feet he truly is. I I do remember some of that talking backwards. I, I do remember seeing that in some of his videos or teasers or whatever he was doing how talented is John when it comes to putting words together and thinking on his feet? Outrageously talented. Outrageously talented. So, so good. It's a special kind of talent that separates great performers from incredible performers. Mm-hmm. To be able to gauge stuff on the fly. And eventually, because of his talents, he gets signed to OVW, Ohio Valley Wrestling and WWE Developmental. Right. And the class that he's part of there is just absolutely batshit insane. It's, yeah. it's Brock Lesnar. It's they had a lot, they had a lot of studs. A lot of studs. Randy Orton, Sheldon Benjamin, Charlie Haas. And the name that I've heard on so many podcasts too talked about was seen as a tag team partner that they thought was going to be the biggest star of them all was Rico Constantino. Do you remember? Rico, who, as we know, would come up with Billy and Chuck right. in Three Minute Warning. Do you remember Rico having a lot of hype at that time? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I was really in the mix. We were on the road full time then. So, like, I wasn't up on OVW talents as much as I maybe would have been later on, you know, but like, uh, or, or earlier on before I was so super busy. Um, I, I do remember they they had a lot of people that were hyped there. And I remember Rico was a guy they were they were very high on, too. And he, he was a sweetheart, sweetheart of a dude. I was going to say, what can you tell us about Rico? Because I don't really foresee many other opportunities for us to talk about him. Uh, 
a former, I want to say he's a former police officer, if I'm not mistaken. He, he was, he, he, he definitely did something in civil service. I, I want to say he was a police officer, um, but he, he was a great guy. Uh, he was very friendly, uh, pretty, pretty charismatic and, and flashy. And he was very driven. He was a very hard worker because he got started really late. He was a lot older whenever he got started. So he was very driven and just, just a good dude, generally a good dude. And he ended up being remembered more as a manager than anything else. Yeah. And, and he was great with the Billy and Chuck presentation. There's no doubt about that, but this massive class, you just said you're not paying super intense attention to OVW, but are there ever whispers at that point? Like now we know the system's totally changed and you, you know, who's in developmental now, but back then are, are they being like, man, you guys got to wait five months. This Brock Lesnar guy is going to be up here and you're going to be blown away. Are there ever any conversations like that? Yeah, that, there there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of buzz on on Brock and Randy specifically. That I remember they're going, "Oh my God, you know, Randy Orton's a third generation guy. He's going to be so good. He's so naturally talented." Uh, and then Brock just being a freak of nature. You know, Brock is Brock. There's only there's only one Brock Lesnar. So yeah, th those two had a lot of buzz. I would say probably more than than Cena did at that time too. In your opinion, who was the most pivotal talent? to come out of that crop? Mm, I mean, it's, I mean, the, the top three that stand out above everyone else, head and shoulders above everyone else are John Cena, Brock Lesnar, and Randy Orton. Um, as far as who is the most influential of, of all those, uh, maybe in terms of like being the person to build the brand around, it was John Cena, mm -hmm. especially with his work ethic and everything else. Um, in terms of maybe like overall stardom, it may be Brock Lesnar just because he's done stuff. He has such a crossover career doing the UFC deal. And he's just such a freak of nature. Um, but th those three stand out above everyone else, head and shoulders. Above oh, and by the way, Batista's there too. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. He, he did okay for himself as well. Yeah. It, it's surreal. Batista's great too. Yeah. It's, it's truly surreal. And John isn't in developmental very long. He actually gets his call up. In an open challenge from Kurt Angle on June 27, 2002, Kurt famously asked him what traits he possessed that made him worthy of competing with him that night. And Cena responded by grabbing the mic and saying, ruthless aggression. He slapped him and he nearly beats him in a match. The Undertaker even shakes his hand after. It's one of the most memorable debuts in WWE history. And it's clearly a huge endorsement, Matt. Yeah. But John's wearing generic gear here. He's got no character. He's as white meat as it, you can possibly get. He's still kind of, in theory, wearing the prototype gear, right? He is wearing the prototype gear. Yeah. What do you make of this debut? What do you remember about that night and the buzz that surrounded it? Because that was not the typical debut that Vince McMahon would give a guy at that time. Right. Uh, I, I do remember there, there was a lot of buzz. And, and it really stood out that John could be something special. Just giving... Considering that situation you're in, you're thrust right into the main event mix. You're working against Kurt Angle. Uh, you have a ton of pressure on you right from the jump, and he, he went out and he, he killed it. Um, and it, it was great. It, it was a great introduction. Was the whole ruthless aggression thing a Vinceism? Had to be. Is that I'm, something he's preaching to the locker room all the time? Like, did you ever get a pep talk from Vince about we need to embody this? I, I, take me through. Yeah, there, there, there were times during that period, during that era where, you know, whenever they made it into like the ruthless aggression era, so to say, I mean, Vince was looking for someone to like 
step up and step on people. And he wanted someone to become the top guy and, 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 and be the person that sells tickets and be the person who's the world champion. He was looking for another new hot attraction and act. Jim Ross has gone on the record and said when he signed Cena that he told Vince, he said, I just signed a future WrestleMania main eventer for you. There you have what, it. He's not wrong. Was that the sentiment that night or in that general time period that he was going to be a top guy in WWE? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if it was immediately. I mean, you, you could tell he was very special. You know, you'd never necessarily know off one performance how someone's going to end up or how they're going to do in the big scheme of things. But it, he, he definitely seemed like he had the potential to be a, be a top star. Because he, he went out and, like I said, being thrust into a match with Kurt Angle right from the jump, he went out, he held his own, uh, did a hell of a job, did a hell of a promo, and it, it was a great foundation to start your career. Does the locker room kind of get put on notice when something like that happens? Uh, may, maybe so. I mean, I, I, I think it it's important to take guys. Whenever you debut, it, it's important to have something that is meaningful. You know, the, the, something that is important, even if it's in losing, like, you know, he still won that night. John did because he went out and he hung with Kurt Angle, who was, you know, one of the tippity toppity guys at that time. So that, that was that was definitely a win. And it's important to showcase talent like that. But I think also when people see that, like, oh, shit, this might be a guy that's going to be eating up, eating up a lot of TV time. That mean, might mean I get less TV time. You know, sometimes that is a mentality with guys like that. But I always felt like if you have a guy even like. You know, people would bitch and complain like when a Stone Cold would come back or when a Rock would come back or do whatever. It's like, dude, like, just be happy about it. Like, it's it's better. It's good for business. You know, like, you know, brings more fans, brings more interest to the product. So I I, I was never threatened by stuff like that. I, I mean, I always dug it. I thought it was just good for the business, and I was always about the greater good. I'm I'm probably too uh, too selfless to, to to actually be a, a wrestler in the wrestling business in many ways, but. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, there are definitely guys who are like uh, sitting and, and patiently watching because they're worried this is going to be a guy that takes up their TV time. Well, and it's like one hell of a statement to be able to say that this guy hung in there with Kurt Angle, who, of course, mind, put yourself in the time machine here. 2002, 2003 Kurt Angle is like peak Kurt Angle. He is just on a different level. And to be in that physical shape, to be able to go toe to toe in your debut with him, that's right. quite screaming about him, is it not? Uh, yeah, a hundred percent, man. I mean, and, and just to for them to have the confidence in him to put him in that position, you know, and, and then once he goes out and succeeds, it's a hell of a statement. And the reason that he was in such great physical shape is because John Cena's taking his AG ones every day. Is he not, Matt Hart? You're damn right, man. AG ones are the way to health, and it's a new year, so start with AG ones. No better time to start than now. Get motivated. Start taking your AG1s. What am I talking about? One delicious scoop of AG1. You're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. It's a special blend of ingredients that supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery, focus, aging, all of those things. And there are so many beneficiary elements of this product it's lifestyle friendly whether you eat keto paleo vegan dairy free or gluten free containing less than one gram of sugar no gmos no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting pretty damn good does it, it not absolutely fun? delectable delectable tons of people take some kind of multivitamin 
So it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body's actually going to absorb. And AG1 is a small micro habit with big time benefits. It's one thing that you can do every single day to take great care of yourself, especially if you're on those cross-country flights, Matt Hardy. Those things just take so much out of you. But when you got AG1, you're feeling refreshed and replenished after one of those long flights, are you not? Energized, baby. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Just one scoop in a cup of water every single day. That is it. No need for a million different supplements and pills to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D. And for the first time of 2023, Matt Hardy, how many free travel packs with your first purchase? Five. Cinco. Five. Cinco. Five free travel packs. Can you dig that, sucker? All you got to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Hardy. Again, as athleticgreens.com forward slash Hardy to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Five time. Five time. I was I was on a big booker kick this week, actually, by the way. I was, I was going back and watching some, some old booker stuff. And whew, we... Here's a little spoiler alert, guys. We have a Booker T episode on the schedule this year. And I'm sure it will be a great one. Cannot wait for it. Uh, These Booker T moments, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. So around the time that Cena makes his debut, you're making the move over to SmackDown yourself which we've covered on our version one episode in the archives, extremehard.com. And you're starting to develop this V1 character. Well, John earns a pay-per-view win over Chris Jericho at Vengeance, and he's picking up more and more momentum. But then he reverts to doing pretty much nothing story-wise. And you're paired with him on some house shows in August. You guys wrestled a total of four times on three loops through Connecticut, Texas, and California. What do you think of John's ability in those matches and because this is still like very early for him on the main roster. Uh, I I thought he had a ton of potential. Uh, I enjoyed working with him. He had a great attitude, very respectful. One thing I can't stress enough about whenever he broke into the business, especially once he started on the main roster WWE, but I, I had fun wrestling with him. I, there, there were a lot of things we kind of shared and had, things in common like both like rap music and that's something we kind of discovered at this time as well and uh he, he was just overall just a, a cool fun guy so yeah i enjoyed working with him and i, I thought this this guy is going to be special because he's very gifted and very talented mm-hmm. are you because you're in your late 20s here are uh-huh. you leading him through these matches entirely is he contributing anything to the conversation and putting these matches together yeah, I mean, he it, once again, he was also very respectful in the aspect of he was like, okay, well, you're the veteran. You just tell me what you want me to do, you know, and and he he would contribute like I do this, I do that. What if we did this? But yeah, he, he was just he was very easy to work with that time. Very, very laid back, very easygoing and just an extremely hard worker. And one thing I can say about John more than anything else, he's very disciplined. 
Uh, and, and you can tell that obviously by his physique, the way he eats, the way he trains, uh, his intensity as well. And he's also very disciplined as far as applying himself to bettering himself when it came to his craft as well. And you could see that right from the jump. He was so dedicated to his craft that when he's doing this first iteration of the John Cena character, which again, really isn't much of a character. It's just kind of John Cena wrestling. Yeah. He, he's said this in an interview before he would buy, cause he's just like white meat baby face. He would buy the, he would buy new gear for each city he was in and they would match the colors of the sports team from that city mm-hmm. because he felt that would be a way of connecting with the fans there, but it's not really getting over. He's not really connecting after the win over Chris Jericho. Why do you think he was struggling to find that connection with the crowd, even after getting such a hot start to his career? I mean, once again, especially at that time, WWE is notorious for just very shoddy booking, you know, and I, I feel like that was probably something he probably suffered from. Like, you know, you had that great dynamic start, uh, which was just tremendous against Kurt Angle, you know, having this great match with him. And and they did a few more things, but then he kind of like did nothing. You know, consistency is very important, especially with, with like staying over, especially when you're brand new, you know, and, and green behind the ear so to say just like john was at that time so so i feel like there was they kind of got half ass behind him as opposed to getting fully behind him and i would imagine that is probably part of the reason he, the crowd never got fully behind him because the office was never fully behind him at that point because he's he has said it in the past too he thought he was gonna get fired yeah he thought that's it like i'm not connecting and they're gonna cut me yeah he ends up being put in a tag team with Billy Kidman for a period of time. And about a month and a half in, he turns on him and goes heel. The baby face John Cena wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And on the Halloween themed episode of SmackDown in 2002, he's dressed as Vanilla Ice at a Halloween party. And he performs a freestyle rap. And all of a sudden, Matt, we've got something here. Yeah. When did people start to find out that Cena could freestyle? Um, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure of the exact moment, but I, I know it became a thing on international trips. He would rap and he kind of professed his love for rap and, uh, being very lyrical. And speaking of that Halloween show, I did a deal where I walked in playing my music with a, a, a big jukebox on my shoulder too. John and I, we shot those scenes back to back and we had a lot of fun doing that because we were two of the guys that were, were featured in that, in that, uh, Halloween party vignette. So he becomes the doctor of thugonomics, a rapper who would cut promos while trying to rhyme. I think I've seen that on AEW once or twice. I think think I've seen it uh, every now and then. But again, there's this folklore that develops. You were talking about the international trips. Uh, It's said that the people that really took note were Rikishi, Rey Mysterio, and Stephanie McMahon. And Stephanie in particular was blown away that John could do this. (laughs) And I I think that's just a very impressionable group of people right there that we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, Do you remember Stephanie having any influence on that? Obviously she was the head of SmackDown creative at the time. Right. Uh, I mean, I I don't remember specifically if if Stephanie was the one that that pushed for that, but I, I do know once the word got around and the buzz that John did it, that that's a direction they intentionally tried to go in. And, and obviously that ended up working out great for him in the big scheme of things. It's so funny. I was watching back the confidential piece that, that we did, that we talked about a little earlier. And there's a couple of times in there go, you know, this is John Zena. What up Zena? 
that was something Rikishi would always say to him. You know, Rikishi just cool as hell, man. Just a total, total cool ooze, a total cool brother, man. Just say, you know, cool as a cucumber. But he said, What's up, Zena? He would almost say it with an X instead of a C. What up, Zena? What's up, Zena? And I would say that to him all the time. What's up, Zena? Especially like if we ride or travel together and stuff. What up, Zena? Did you guys travel together a lot? Uh, we did during some of those times. There was there was points where where John and I traveled together. Me, him, and Ray were a little team for a while there, traveling on the road, making towns, brother. What kind of travel partner was John Cena in the year two thousand two, two thousand three? I mean, he was good. Uh, you know, he would uh, he would pay his share of the portion. You know, whenever we had to spend money and and do whatever, uh, we'd all stay in individual hotel rooms. He 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 wasn't a, a cheapie. And wouldn't try and like crash on someone's floor. He would spend a few bucks. Uh, he, he was great though. He was cool. I, and once again, I just always enjoyed conversation with him and whatnot. I just asked that because over the years, there have been some stories that John Cena back in the day was a bit of a party animal and was never afraid to try to outdrink someone if challenged among some other miscellaneous activities. You don't have to go into specifics should you choose not to, but is that mad fact or is that mad fiction? Uh, in, in the beginning, he he wasn't. He wasn't like a big party. I mean, later on, like once he started being looked upon as like becoming a top, John Cena, becoming John Cena as a top guy, and like once Undertaker wasn't doing all the shows and the international trips, John would make sure to like pull up a chair and he'd hold court and I'd love to be there. And we'd sit back and we would drink and tell wrestling stories and, and talk about the business and life and just have a good time. Like a lot of brotherhood, which is a, a very, very important thing in pro wrestling. It was especially at that point. So once, once that happened, you know, John, John was, was definitely in there and he's like, all right, well, let's, you know, let's have a couple of drinks guys. Let's talk some wrestling, do whatever. So he, he was, he, he was good once he got to that thing. And it, I think that was just him emulating undertaker, you know, just, watching what a top guy who done, who was like the leader of a locker room, who was there to kind of like help try and encourage morale. So Cena's handed off with this rapping gimmick. Is Matt Hardy a little jealous? Uh, I, I dug it. I thought it was super cool. Uh, I, I probably was a little envious. I would have loved to have rapped a little bit, you know, although I didn't want to necessarily rap and act like uh, I was oppressed you know, <laughs> because of Mattitude. That was something that was talked about later once, once you know, I was rapping. So fortunately, that uh, that, that that didn't happen. I yes. dodged the bullet there. Um, That's man, a good callback to an early episode of The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy as we celebrate one year here. It, it, it really is. I, I, I do. I, I have a funny story I would like to share about Please. John. Do you remember the match uh, John Cena and Shawn Michaels had over in the UK? I want to say it was. In it Monday. was right after WrestleMania. They went. Uh, yeah. They went an hour, I think, or, or like, something. It was like, like forty-eight minutes, yeah. fifty minutes, something, something along those lines. So I'll, I'll never forget. So Ric Flair, who is insane, we all love the insane Ric Flair, right? Uh, Rick's the best, and I remember he was there that night. He's like, "Oh my God, you're the man, Cena, John, you're the champ." And uh, he said, all right, we're going to get together and we'll have some drinks down at the bar, right? We're on an international trip, so we're hanging out. And I remember Rick kept putting over Shawn Michaels. And, you know, Shawn at this point was, like, not drinking and he'd, like, very religious doing his deal. And, and Rick was down there just constantly annoying the shit out of uh, Sean. He's like, come on. He said, look, the, the champ, John, he's the, the leader now. He's having some drinks. Sean, you can have a drink. That doesn't mean, mean you're a bad guy. You don't have to drink. You can have a drink. Celebrate it. You guys had a hell of a match tonight. You went 50 minutes. You did this. You did that. And uh, Rick finally got Sean to cave and have some drinks, right? 
So he's sitting back there and some drinks. And you see, like, the old Sean starting to come out. And Jeb and I, we were, like, tickled at this point, right? And it was in celebration of the match he'd had with Cena. And Cena was there doing his thing as the locker room leader, kind of, like, you know, leading the whole brethren there. And we're telling stories. And you see Sean, and now he's had a few. And he says, yeah, look at you, for instance, Jeff Hardy, a Shawn Michaels wannabe. He said, people know that I'm the real deal. He said, you think you're hot shit, right? Just because people love you. And like, well, that's not it. I mean, people will always believe in me. Are they going to believe in you like that? And he was doing that. He said, whoa. And Umaga was there too, right? So he looked, hey, and look at Big Man over here. He said, hey, I'm credible. People believe that. Like, if I super kick you, they know I can beat you with that. And I remember Omaga bucked up. And he said, why don't you give it a shot right now then? Go ahead. What are you and Sean said, whoa, brother. I'm working, brother. Come on. Work with me, brother. I'm just working. I'm working. It was hilarious, though, because, you know, Jeff's just, like, laughing. It's like, this is so cool. Shawn Michaels is just, like, talking shit to me. And then Umaga caught him out immediately. And you see Sean back, like, whoa, 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 brother. That's uh, one, one of my favorite stories. Because Sean, Sean never did that at that time. Right. Ric Flair playing the devil on his shoulder. Come on, Sean, just have a couple drinks. It's not going to kill you. I'm, Change is not going to make you a bad guy. I'm shocked that Ric Flair would be a bad influence on somebody <laughs> at the moment. Wow. Just totally shocked. Taking a man who had been sober for years and saying, ah, oh, come on. What's the harm? <laughs> uh, Produce a good story, at least. That That is fun. I like that. That's I, that, See, those are the gems of this podcast. There are so many great stories like that in our archives if you haven't uh, checked them out. Uh, so, and, and you had said in the past, too, that when you guys would be in the bus on tours and stuff, you and John used to kind of yep. go back and forth, spin some rhymes every now and then, which I think is super fun. Yeah. I mean, we, we would have someone start rapping. We would like have the, we all sat in the back of the bus, right? So guys in the back of the bus, Kishi was there a lot too. Some guy would like deliver three, four, five, six lines, and then someone else would pick it up. And we try and like keep a consistent story going through all the, the, the raps and whatnot. And at the very end, a lot of times it would come down to me and John, which it was just, just so much fun. Those were, those were fun days on those international tours. Brian Hebner strikes me as someone who would have been doing the beatbox for. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Just hypothetically speaking there. Strictly. My Kyoto. Kyoto. Well, guess what? All of a sudden you guys become a tag team out of nowhere. Yeah. Because WWE booking. Mm-hmm. And on November 14, 2002 on SmackDown, you two beat Rikishi and Tajiri in a fluke win when both you and Tajiri collide. It's a double pin. And then you just happen to get your shoulder up at two and a half. And yeah. you and Cena celebrate like you guys just won the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's great. Madonomics. Over the next few weeks, his rap character really starts to come into his own. And he gets your boy B2, B squared, yeah. Bull Buchanan. He becomes his heavy. And then on November 28th, you and him team again, where you cheat to beat Rey Mysterio and Edge. Which, we got him. We got their asses. That's a, that's a big tag team at the time. Rey Mysterio and Edge. You guys are picking up a win there and another super big celebration. It, on the surface, Matt, it's kind of an odd pairing between you guys. But I, I made him put me on his shoulder like I was missing. You did. You did. You, he, you put... You made him put you on his shoulders like you just won the MVP award. Yeah. And he's parading you. And it's it's great. It's I was saying it's getting a lot of heat. People mm-hmm. are really digging this. And then it's gone. Nothing <laughs> comes of it. Poof. What happened here? Because it seemed like you guys really enjoyed tagging with each other on these two episodes. What happened here? WWE booking. Let it play out, pal. <laughs> So why you just were never given a reason for it? Just stopped? 
I was just stopped. I mean, they, they really liked the stuff we were doing together, you know, while we were actively doing it. Um, and then it just stopped and things went in different directions. And, and I want to say part of that, which I feel like I went into the story a little bit. There was a point when I did that deal with edge and Ray where eventually I was going to maybe take Ray out and have a feud with edge. And then it ended up Johnny ACE pushed really hard to get, uh, Albert in it or a trained, whatever they were calling him at that time. And then he ended up getting that spot instead of me. And then uh, they said, okay, we'll figure out something for you later. Cause I was supposed to like get a pretty good push and a pretty good run against edge as the singles guys at the time. Um, because I was, I was pretty hot as Matt Hardy version one. And then later they said, okay, well we might can do something with you for the cruiserweight championship. You know, and like a lot of people look at that, like as a downgrade or, you know, some sort of demotion. I said, okay, cool. Like fuck, let's make it as good as possible. And that's when I ended up doing that thing with Ray, which I ended up loving. It just surprises me because you guys really seemed like you hit it off and it it would have been a pairing that fit. I almost hypothesize here that had you not really found your own with the V1 character yet, you could have gotten really into that Thugonomics character. We could have had like a Thugonomics tag team there of sorts. It's a fun little fantasy world to think about, but it could have been fun. Yeah, definitely. I, and I would have enjoyed that too. And I, I would have been, I would have been all in. I would have been committed to the get committed to the gig, committed to the bit. I, I just, I, I like the idea of V one with this. It should have had more legs. And, and I really think that if there had been more foresight, there could have been more to this, but to his credit, the doctor of thugonomics character really starts to get over in its own right. Matt. Mm -hmm first as a heel and then as a baby face. Why do you think John was able to leverage that heel heat with the character, not really change the character up all that much and turn it into a big baby face act? How do you think he was able to do that? I mean, that, once you get hot as a heel, I mean, that, that makes it pretty easy to turn into a baby face. You know, that, that's, you know, the, the greatest baby faces are usually big hills before they're baby face. I mean, there, there are rare exceptions that happen in the business. Ricky, the dragon steamboat, someone who was never, never a hill. I remember Rick Flair one time said, he said, uh, they said, who was the best that you ever worked against? You know, they said like, uh, in some of the matches, they said like Ricky Steamboat or like Macho Man, Randy Savage, whatever. And they were listening to some matches. He said, oh, Ricky Steamboat. He's probably the best that I've ever been in the ring with. He said, so do you think Ricky Steamboat's better than you? He says, no. Ricky Steamboat never worked Hill. He said, I'm the ultimate. I've worked Bayface and Hill. He said, so I'm the best. <laughs> that was one of my favorite Ric Flair stories and comparisons as well. It's just amazing seeing how he is able to leverage that from Hill to Babyface. But before he's able to go Babyface, I want to bring up that WWE Confidential that you talked about. This aired in July of 2003. And it's on the WWE Network. You can go out of your way to go check it out. It's the Zach Gowan episode if you're interested in finding it. And the synopsis of this essentially is you guys are in Japan and you stop by a sushi place. And is this his first time ever having sushi? Uh, that's what he claimed. I mean, that was his legitimate claim at the beginning. So you guys are hitting it off, yucking it up at this Japanese restaurant and the dynamic between you two is just so fantastic and it really feels like there could have been so much more he makes you sushi you, you get very excited about you, you're wearing a black eye which uh, where'd that black eye originate from uh from a match if i'm not mistaken a match i had with chris benoit where he broke my nose just 
were they running? He was like making a comeback, and he took the turnbuckle and came out and hit me with a form smash, and uh, and broke my nose. You can hear like big snap, and uh, it 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 broke my nose and it bled like crazy. It was a great visual. The blood looked amazing for the match, and and really put a lot of drama in the match. But something that sucked is immediately once the show was over and done, we had to like jump on a plane and go to Japan. <laughs> so then uh, my note, we fl flew every day too. I want to say like we went to Japan. We maybe did a sing Singapore in there too. Uh, we may have done. There was uh, Singapore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we did, we were fine every day. And my nose bled every day because of the elevation and the pressure. It was brutal, man. Jeez. Uh, there was a moment where he didn't really like the rice. And he referred to it as Uncle Ben's rice. Yeah. And you said, quote, this is a direct quote, that strizzle Uncle Bizzle, my nizzle. <laughs> there you have it, man. You know what I mean? We were just talking to Carney, man, having a big time. Well, and this is where you are like still, you tweeted about this too the other day. The Matt Hardy Southern drawl just kind of disappeared over time. I mean, it just, it was from traveling, just getting out of the South, you know, uh, the, the more I traveled around the world and heard other, other people's accents and just it, mine leveled out quite a bit, but oh my God, like there's some, when we first got a, an actual radio with a little tape recorder, you know, the old school tape recorder, you have to take a pencil and turn it get stuck or whatever. So we, I would record like these stories like these and i like listen i was like oh my god i am such a little redneck i mean it was like so brutal you know how, how thick it was because that's just that's all i knew growing up yeah. and stuff like that and all the people around me were like farmers and stuff um but you know right from the jump when i heard other things like as i know i've addressed this a couple times too like i worked in tobacco when i was young mm -hmm. and uh I, I remember hearing hispanic people and and there were a lot of mexicans that came up to like North Carolina in our area to work in tobacco and they work and I would hear them speaking Spanish. I thought it was like the coolest thing ever. Oh my God. Like there's another way to communicate another language. And then there would be some, some black people that also worked in tobacco with us. And I would hear them rapping. I was like, Oh man, this sounds really cool. Like it's a different form of music because all I would hear in that, in that day and age was like country music. Cause my dad played some country music. So it, yeah. it was, it, it was very fun uh, learning different cultures and whatnot. And, and I think that really, that, that set in on me when I was very young. And whenever I got to travel the world, I've been very blessed to, to go everywhere. It, it really helped level out my terrible Southern draw. The other highlight from this segment is an impromptu freestyle from you. <laughs> or, do you have the notes in front of you, Matt? If not, I'll, I'll recite it for you. Go ahead. Yeah. No, you I don't said, have <clears throat> this is V1 here with John Cena, the sushi making pimp. He got behind the counter and win me up a roll of shrimp. <laughs> and just so you all know, let me tell you, it's all for real. It went down smooth, had a seafood taste and a seafood feel. And just so all you folks know, it was good. I'm not going to be rude. He just served up properly the sensei of Mattitude. Outstanding. How about that? All on the top of your noggin there? Uh, I, I, Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that was. Okay. All right. It's just go out of your way to watch this because it's a really cool... It's very fun. Two guys on the road, enjoying the world travels, and it's clear you guys enjoyed each other's company too. Which we did, and, and I, I might even, uh, I might even put you to work one more time this week. Yeah, notice there was a Matt fact in this episode. Yeah. Oh, I've got it. Never had a true representation. So, Matt fact: Matt's least favorite sushi is sea urchin. Ugh. 
still stand by that all these years later? Yeah, I, I still I did. I had a very bad experience. John didn't like it either. Mm, interesting. Sea urchin is a very pungent taste, so yeah. I, I understand that. Well, John ends up becoming a main eventer. WrestleMania 21, he wins his first world championship from none other than your best pal, John Bradshaw Layfield. Well, hell, he slipped on a banana pill and put the kid over. <laughs> it's a pretty clear changing of the guard moment for the company. He wins. Batista beats Triple H in the main event. You have the two guys crowned as the world champions. And both of them were in the main event because of how the way the 2005 Royal Rumble ended. This is a story I don't think you and I are probably ever going to talk about on this podcast. So I just need to know from your perspective, Matt, (laughs) how the most controversial finish of the Royal Rumble ever went down. What was real? What was not? And what was it like backstage when the chairman of the board tore both of his quads? Well, I, I actually wasn't there. I was off from, from knee surgery. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but I, I do remember watching it and I was like, what the fuck was that? What is going on? And I remember talking talking to guys too. And they're, you know, and, and defini- legitimately, like, they were not supposed to both go out like that. So. No. And and they landed perfectly. Vince got so furious, so hot. It, it's only Vince McMahon could. He's like, fuck it. Play my music. I'm going out there. And he was so mad. He did that and he ran and slid in the ring and tore, blew both his quads out right from the jump. And it, and, and just they, they made people leave. Like, so they took Vince out of there. He didn't want anyone to see him weak or crippled, you know, and that's very much how it was. Like, he, he wouldn't let anyone see him for weeks if he couldn't walk because that's a hey, fuck. You got to be a man. You gotta be a man, damn it! And if you have torn quads and you can't walk, you're not a man. I can't let people see me like this. I know about my human psychology. I know about my primal urges. Uh, so yeah, it, it was a, a chaotic situation, and it was uh, just, just, just so crazy. I mean, do you realize how long recovering from one torn quad is? Let alone two yeah. for a guy who likes working Simul- out- simultaneously too. Simultaneously. For a guy who likes working out more than he likes talking to his own children. It, right. It's just insanity. And to his credit, he's the ultimate performer. He no-sells it the entire time he's in the ring. <laughs> he's there sitting down. He's so mad. I mean, I can't imagine how much. I mean, that had to make him infinitely more mad. <laughs> he tore squads. He was already furious. He had to be apoplectic. Considering he went down there and he blew both his quads out. It's just so crazy. Well, it's just amazing because Vince is so not an athlete in any way. He's <laughs> he's like a bodybuilder, but he's not an athlete. Yeah. And all you have to do is watch one Vince McMahon match and you know that. So he rushes down to the ring, gets in there. He's all puff and puff. And then as he tries to stand up, one goes out and then the other goes out. And it's it's truly unbelievable. Oh, boy. Uh, but did, did you think that they were a little higher on Batista at the time than they were, John? Um, gosh, I, I mean, I, I feel like they were kind of running parallel in, yeah. in, in all actuality. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, well, and what a unique opportunity, right? To build two top guys yeah. on one show, something like that doesn't really come along very often. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was cool. And it, and it really was like a, a changing of the guard and kind of like ushering in a newer, younger generation of champions. Now around this time he drops his CD you can't see me 
He right. said in the BuzzFeed interview a few years ago that they recorded more than 80 tracks for this initially. And there's even a rumor out there that Matt Hardy was even featured on one. Matt Fact or Matt Fiction? Matt Fact. Uh, yes, it was. It was real cool, too. And uh, like uh, I flew up to Boston. I went to the studio with. Did John. he ask you to be in it? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we we recorded. I did a verse in the song. And, and, and I know I was telling you about this a little earlier. I, I have that on an iPod somewhere and I misplaced my iPod. I, I got to track that down because to the best of my knowledge, that is where I the only place I have the song. But it, but it's, it's real cool. It's very gimmicky in wrestling. And we're talking about thugonomics and matitude and mathematics and stuff like that. It was really fun. It was so fun to do and just getting in an actual studio with him and, and being produced. It sounded, it sounds good. It's a, it's a pretty badass little song too. It's very cute. Whenever he actually did his legitimate album, they didn't want him to do any gimmicky material on it. It was like over the top pro wrestling. So to say they wanted it to be a little more serious. So obviously that one didn't make it, but that is a, that is a, a, a B side that I, I would like for the world to hear one day. I think we all need to hear that. I, I, I shared this with you work in the indies in my heel manager stuff one of the best signs i've ever seen in a crowd it said alba still listens to john cena cd oh boy okay that is some heat right there man <laughs> that is some heat right there so i i have to ask you matt not to put you on a spot here but hypothetically speaking if matt hardy was supposed to be on this album right what might him rapping john cena's you can't see me my time is now theme song <laughs> I would probably just say this. A new dead man ink, and I'm about to make you famous. Taking over Earth and still kicking Uranus. Word life. This is basic thugonomics. <laughs> I like a good throwback to basic thug. When he whipped that back out at WrestleMania a few years ago, that was super yeah. fun. Super yeah. fun to see him doing that. And I think he did it with John Cena, too, or with uh, The Rock at one point, too. Um, so, okay, the lore is settled. Matt Hardy was indeed cut from John Cena's album. I, I think that's pretty cool that he asked you to be on that, though. Yeah, it's very cool. I, I had a good time with him as well. The rest of your career, though, Matt, you only actually have two matches together. Yeah. And they're not battle royals. They're just two big tag matches, but they're pretty significant tag matches. Yeah. September 19, 2005, you team with Cena, Shawn Michaels, and Big Show to defeat Kurt Angle, Edge, Chris Masters, and Snitsky. <laughs> Talk about some talent there. Legit five Hall of Famers in that match. Do you have any memories about that night? Uh, I, I do. I remember that was a, it was a cool match. Uh, it was very cool to be, uh, you know, injected into that match. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I remember the pre-tape that we did where we all came in right at the beginning. You know, uh, there was Sean and there was John and then there was me and then there was Big Show. It was it was really cool, really fun. And I also remember Sean pitched an idea for the finish that we dogpile Edge at the very end of it. And I was like, come on, man. There's no way Vince is going to go for it. He said, let me go work my magic, brother. Let me go work my magic. And uh, Big Show said Sean Michaels was the only one who could have talked Vince into letting that happen. And it, it was funny. It was, it was very cool. It was a very memorable finish. And then once more, you're in a match with even more talent. It's the night after WrestleMania 25. You just beat 
Jeff in that wild hardcore match that we are going to talk about this year <laughs> on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. It's CM Punk, Jeff Hardy, John Cena, Rey Mysterio, and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat defeating you, Chris Jericho, Edge, Kane, and Big Show. Holy shit, Matt. I just got to tell you, Ricky Steamboat wasn't the greatest because he never wore two. Um, now that, that, uh, that, uh, that was, that was so much fun. It was so, so much fun to, to be able to step into the ring with, you know, the icon Ricky Steamboat. So that, that was cool. I was very honored to do that as well. When I read those names back to you, I mean, legit, everyone in that match is a top person at some point in their career, every single person. Right. Does that kind of put in perspective, just all these different generations of talent you've worked with and these amazing opportunities you've had. I mean, that is a special match right there. And it's not one that Indeed. people may remember all that much because it's just on an episode of raw. Yeah. But that's a special accomplishment. Matt. No, I mean, it, it really is. Once again, anytime you're working in like a, a match with so many top talents, it's just, it's, it's quite an honor and it just shows that the company does have faith in you and they, they trust you and they, uh, they have enough confidence in you to let, let you kind of carry the ball a little bit, which is nice. I mean, when you reach that level on the card, you're eating good, aren't you? Yeah, I'm always eating good, you know, but uh, yeah, you, you are eating good when you reach that level on the card, I'd say. Especially because you got that money to lay down on Jimmy's famous seafood, do you not? That is eating good. Jimmy's seafood is eating good. And you know the, the coolest thing about it, John? Uh, you don't even have to go to Baltimore. You can hop right online, and they will send it to you. Best Jimmy, food you'll ever have. Jimmy'sFamousSeafood.com ships food nationwide, and you can get free two-day nationwide shipping on orders over $125, excluding steamed crabs and fresh items, by just using the promo code HARDY. It is so simple. Jimmy'sFamousSeafood.com. Get your Maryland crab cakes, your soups, oh. your chowders, your oysters, your signature steaks, desserts, gluten-free items. I told you I bought my sister and her husband yeah. the big triple D package that Guy Fieri customized himself when he visited there. Uh, they ate the crab cakes. They, they they got a bunch of stuff. They got some crab egg rolls. They got some oysters. They got some soup. And they, they ate the crab cakes. And they were planning to eat more, but they were so stuffed from just eating the crab cakes. My they, mouth is watering. You just talking about all this, dude. Stuff insane right i can order jimmy as soon as i get off the get off the uh pod with you here well you use that promo code hardy and you'll get free shipping on any order over 125 dollars if you want to get the tailgate bundle we got the final week of the nfl season coming up there's some playoff implications on the line this week matt hardy you'll get wings you could get ribs you could get steaks you could get whatever you want even customize your order this is the good stuff is it not my friend it is the best stuff it is a uh, it is a destination spot, Jimmy Seafood. And uh, like I said, the magic about it is that even if you can't go there in person, you can order and still get the same quality food. It is unreal, man. Jimmy's famous seafood.com. Use that promo code Hardy, and we thank them for sponsoring the extreme life of Matt Hardy. Thank you very much, Jimmy's famous seafood. When you guys return at WrestleMania 33, there's a little behind-the-scenes video that's shot, and John can be seen in Gorilla as you're about to go through the curtains. Did he say anything to you guys that night? Yeah, uh, I remember we came up. There was a slap of the hand and a hug, and he said, oh, welcome back home. That was, that was from John. And John, very much a company guy. You know, when he was going to be 
the top guy that WWE kind of was building their brand around. Uh, he, he was going to be a company guy and he was going to, you know, see WWE as his home. I, I couldn't see him going anywhere else because that, that was his home. And he takes a lot of pride in still coming back and, and doing WWE stuff, even though he's like this, you know, amazing actor who's doing all these great projects all around the world. And this is a guy who has had a match in every single year of his career. And I know on the surface, you're like, well, obviously, keep in mind, this is a guy that has crossed over into the mainstream, but he still finds time to come back and at least have one match. Yes. Which is just amazing. Why do you think he was able to cross over into mainstream so well? Keep in mind, this is the OG Marine here. Yeah. And I got to admit, Matt Hardy, back in those days, I wasn't sure that uh, that was the right role for him because the serious actor, he can pull it off, but it's clear he has a great fit in this stoic comedy. Your friend right. EC3 refers to him as Peacemaker because of yeah. his role there. Uh, why do you think he was able to cross over so successfully? I mean, as I said, right right from the jump, uh, he's a very gifted guy. And we we're talking about his quick wit and his personality. And, and he he's just he's very good at what he does. And he has a way with words. And he also is a very charismatic guy at the end of the day. So so it, it worked. And, and once again, once he really decides to commit to something, whatever it is, if it's pro wrestling, if it's lifting weights, uh, if it's acting, he is very disciplined and he goes in and gives it his absolute 110%. In and and it, those, it, shows, it shows. It's those juxtapositions too, because his babyface run, the Super Cena run, he's a squeaky clean babyface like Hogan. And then his best humor now is when he's doing this stoic comedy, like as Peacemaker, and he's just dropping F-bombs with a stone-cold face. And right. is he kind of like that? At least back in the day, did he have that, like, very stoic sense of humor? Yeah, yeah. He, he's he's always had that, I think. Okay. Part of his charm. It, it's just trying to get some insight here on him, because he, he is, at the end of the day, Matt, he's a pretty polarizing wrestling figure. He was pushed just like Hogan was. Top guy, take your vitamins... Hustle, loyalty, respect, you know, all that stuff. I mean, and, and he beat everybody. Yeah. And there were well, a lot of guys that you could argue didn't reach that next level due to how they were booked against John Cena. I mean, he, he was he was the guy that was making the donuts. You know what I mean? He, he was the guy that, you know, had put WWE on his back. So Vince was definitely going to make sure to protect him. Uh, he was going to put him in the best position possible. And he, he probably wanted to make sure that some of the times maybe he could have help guys get over more, but maybe Vince felt like it might damage him as well. I, I don't think, I think it was way overly dramatized about uh, how he politically would try and cut people's legs out from underneath them and stuff like that. I, I just don't think John did that as much as people claim that he did. I mean, that's, that's what I want to get into here. So yeah. to your knowledge, was John much of a politicker? Uh he, he he had a, a very direct line with Vince. If you're the top guy, you you talk to Vince on the regular, probably probably daily, right? So he he wasn't like a huge politicker as far as far as that goes. It you know all my experiences around him and whatnot. You know I wasn't there the entire time. He he had his run obviously, and and people do change. Uh, you know they change to be better and they change to be worse. So I I, I don't know, but but I I do feel like it is overly hyped. It is nowhere near as dramatic as people make it out to be. I, I feel like John was just a very committed company guy who's going to do whatever Vince told him, and he loved pro wrestling. Uh, I know he hates it. 
he, he looking back, you know, he would criticize Rock whenever Rock was doing the whole acting gig. And I know he's he's kind of uh, reneged on that a little bit. And he's taking a step back and said, oh, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that because I, I see what it is. And he knows that Rock loves the business just like he does as well. That's why he makes it uh, very much an intention to come back every single year. That's what I was going to say. John Cena does not need to come back at this point. Sure. But I, mean, I think he genuinely loves. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Yep. 100%. And- Every John Cena match now that happens, especially when he works these tag matches, they are literally, he stands on the apron the entire match until the hot tag comes in. Someone takes a swing. He ducks. Sit out. You can't see me. After the shoulder tackles, you know how it goes. You play the greatest hits. The five moves of doom. Oh, yeah. So I, I guess I just want to ask you to follow on that. Do you think John was maybe perhaps a little too protected? Because uh, you're someone who's studied in characters and wrestling prolifically. Uh, maybe it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world if John Cena's character showed some vulnerability or had some character flaws. And I think that his run at the top, the whole Super Cena thing, I do think it was somewhat off-putting for a certain generation of fans because of that. Do you have any assessment on that? Yeah, I, I still, much like they did with Roman Reigns, you know, he was very polarizing. I, I think they should have turned John Hill at some point, you know. And I know that was the guy that, you know, Vince said, no, he's like our baby face and I'm building the company around him. He sells all this merch and does this and does that. But I, I think you could have done something where instead of him joking and like turning his foot where he says, yes, I'm, look, I'm turning Hill. I'm turning my Hill. Uh, I, I think they could have turned him into a Hill and let him have a run as a legitimate bad guy. And it would have like made people respect him a lot more too. I, I just think the reason he was so polarizing and the first guy that was – more polarizing than, than than other baby faces in the same position. Like Hulk Hogan still got cheered, you know, and they were very similar in many ways. You're just looking at a different audience because the audience is smarter and they're kind of they're they're in on the gig, you know, they're in on the bit and they're like, God, this guy just gets pushed down our throats over and over again. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. You know, and I, I thought it was brilliant whenever they turned Roman Hill. You know, because that's what you need to do. And, and look what it did for him. I, I felt like you could have seen something very similar to that if they would have actually committed and, and let John be Hill for a little while. Well, and there were just two, in, in my mind, that come to the forefront here. Two great opportunities to do so. Obviously, when CM Punk got super hot with the Summer of Punk, right. Cena could have leaned in to be in a corporate champion. Sure. And perfect dynamic for Punk. Or when Rock came back for the first match they had, everyone was cheering for The Rock. Nobody was yeah. cheering for John Cena yeah. in that. And there was an opportunity to exercise a heel turn there. And I'm with you. I I think you're spot on on that. But then there is the element of it that needs to be said when you're talking about John Cena. Nobody in the world has granted more make-a-wishes than John Cena. I mean, I I get it. I mean, and that's there's sometimes in WWE where those decisions are made because the, 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 the real person is just such a tremendous asset to the company in so many ways. And, and that that's probably why they would never pull the trigger on it. I mean, would it have helped him in the long run? I think so. I think it would have, but I just feel like all the make wishes, all the appearances, all the charity stuff he did, uh, they just, they, they wanted to keep him in that role. So that's why they kept him in that same position, kind of like uh, on cruise control. It's really amazing. Isn't it? When you as a pro wrestler can impact someone's life like that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it really is. I mean, the, the, the power of that, Television, the power of, you know, pro wrestling programming is 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 so prolific. Yeah. 
Let's get a few Ask Matt's in before we wrap things up here. And again, a big thank you to everyone over the last year. Thousands of Ask Matt questions. Uh, every episode, just really outstanding stuff. So thank you so much for your support of us. Uh, we got a guy that came to Dynamite last week pretty much just to see you, Matt, with that big Extreme Life sign, Josh Henney. Yeah, um, man. What up, Josh? We, we, I, think uh, even- I, I, I did. Isaiah pointed him out. He saw the sign immediately. There you go. He yeah. asks, how was working with John in the ring? Was he stiff, safe, enjoyable? There's some people who've claimed over the years John could be a little snug at times. I, I think as, as time went on, he he did get a little more snug. Uh, John, John was always good, though. Like, in, in my days I worked with him, I enjoyed working with him. We were very like-minded and kind of like, you know, the, the way we would work. Um, so, no, I, I, I didn't think he was too stiff. He was a little clunky, you know, yeah. which, which I, I think that's like, just kind of who he is, especially with the way he's built and his physique. And, and it, it kind of became like one of his traits, I think, is John Cena to kind of be a clunky wrestler. It was like the same thing with Punk, too. Punk was not a finesse guy. Right. But the clunkiness became part of the charm. Right. It was what you invested in. Uh, Jordan Katz wants to know, there are a lot of stigmas out there, positive and negative, about Cena as a person or as a locker room guy. Uh, especially if you watch saying like the total diva stuff uh, that was all very fascinating look i thought into john cena the person and he wants to know what's a story that the public may not know that gives some insight to who he is or who he was in the locker room is there anything that comes to mind hmm. or even in a general sense something i mean that I, 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 I just feel like the way he took so much pride in being a, a top guy for wwe when he was getting his push as the champion and as the top guy, like he made it a point to like, you know, carry on undertaker's legacy. You know, whenever we do those international trips or whatever, he was there for like brotherhood and he would make sure to be there, have drinks, have people around and just try and keep morale up. And, and I think that's very important, especially when you're doing those 14 or 16 day long international tours, those, those can be very taxing physically and mentally. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think he, he, he really took a lot of pride in, accepting that role and and just trying to keep morale up in the locker room. And that's just the thing about him. He was a top guy who never once got in trouble. Never once in his career did he get in trouble. How many guys in wrestling can say they never got in trouble once? Yeah, yeah, that's a good good point. (laughs) Good point. There's there's really just, it's it's wild to really think about. Yeah. Uh, RJ wants to know, what would your rapper name be? (laughs) Um. Oh boy, let me see. Uh, my rapper name, maybe the dude with Mattitude. Mattitude, I like it. Jeffrey Rose the second wants to know what's your personal favorite John Cena rivalry. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I, I did. I mean, just I, I wasn't there whenever those happened, but I, I thought that when The Rock returned, being the big movie star, and Cena was starting to enter that, I, I really enjoyed them going, you know, toe to toe, and I, I think that was once again like you know, top guys from generations meeting one another. Mm-hmm. And it, it was very cool. I, I was very into the John Cena rock stuff. Kieran Taylor Hodge oh. asks, if Matt could team with Cena, what would your tag team name be? Uh, the uh, Mattonomics. Mattonomics, okay. Mattonomics. Pat Pitts asks, you have the chance to feud with Cena for the world title. Which version of Matt Hardy are the fans getting? Oh, boy. Uh it would uh, it would be fun to do broken Matt with Cena. Oh, uh, he would embrace the hell out of that. Oh, dude, dude, he he was one of the ones. Whenever I sent a preview 
of mm-hmm. the final deletion to Jericho. They were in Japan, right? And this is mm-hmm. a very famous story. Like, uh, he showed it to John Cena, and John said, "Oh my God, this is the greatest shit I've ever seen in my life." And they started setting up like different time periods. What they, they were at this venue all day. They said like one o'clock, uh, two thirty, four p.m., five thirty. Like these are the showing times. You have to be here on time, and if you show up two seconds late, you don't come in the room. And they 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 showed it all throughout the day that the WWE guys and like John Cena watched every single every single viewing of it. <laughs> that that's one of the the first things he was like so happy. Like whenever I showed back up and he's like, Oh my God, I hope you get to do broken mat here. I hope you get to do broken mat. I love that. I could see him being all about the little broken mat isms. Yeah. Throwing a wonderful out there every now and then uh, that yeah. seems right up John Cena's alley. That's very cool. I like that. He was super into that. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. I, I, I think that this is a question that I was probably going to ask you anyway, and it, it's a good way to wrap this general conversation Austin wants right. to know in your opinion do you think John Cena earned the right to be on the Mount Rushmore the greatest of all time in history and I, I before you answer that that's kind of the discourse right now this is a guy who's got 16 world championships just like Ric Flair allegedly did uh, Michael Cole now on WWTV I know you're not really getting a chance to watch but Michael Cole every single time they talk about him is calling him the goat and your friend JBL always called him Big Match John. Right. Does John Cena belong on Mount Rushmore? Yeah, I mean, there, there's 100% a deserving argument for John Cena being on the Mount Rushmore. Why? J- just because of the impact he had, the, the way he was uh, a crossover main celebrity, the guy who carried WWE as the top guy for almost a decade. Uh, th- there's definitely reasons. Is he the greatest wrestler ever? No, he's not. But as far as the personality, he's larger than life. And then especially when you throw in all the charity stuff he's done, all the make-a-wish things he's done, all the impact he's had in people's lives, he's a, he's a gifted guy. I have a theory about John Cena that I'm curious if it changes at all because Vince isn't involved anymore, but I believe John Cena will be the last mega crossover guy from pro wrestling. I think there will be a lot of people who cross over successfully and they reach the levels, uh, you know, where like, I think Roman Reigns is going to cross over and I think Roman will be, will do very well. I don't think Roman Reigns is going to get to like rock or John Cena level. I don't think anybody is anymore because I think John Cena was, and this is where my theory plays in. I think John Cena was kind of the last guy that was let and allowed to be bigger than the brand. Yeah. Because I think that mentality has changed a little bit. Uh, Yeah, uh, obviously. And and I I agree with that. I'm curious to see how that one plays out over time, especially as we have the Mercedes Monet types and the MJs. And some other people who will dabble in acting Roman Reigns being one of them as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, listen, if you want to make an argument that John Cena is a true Mount Rushmore guy as an as a general wrestling entity, I can't fault you for that. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, is there anything else you would like to add about big match John here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy? Uh, no, I mean, I once again, I, I like John, you know, anytime. Anytime I, I see him or run into him, it's always fun conversation. And, and we kind of, you know, reminisce about the past and, and some of the times when we were first starting. And, and, and I dig John. I, I don't have anything but good things to say about John Cena. John, 
is a very special talent across the board. And as polarizing as he may be, I think he's very important to the timeline of pro wrestling. And it was fun looking down at some of the stuff that you guys did together. And just like at the time, you know, he's going to be successful, but you never know that he's going to be like top, top, top tier Hollywood star. It's just crazy to think that that guy made you sushi. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's 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 really cool to look back on uh this was fun matt always is fun and i'm I'm grateful that our 2023 begins with this and next week we go from one big star to another big star because next week we are talking all about your pal kurt angle okay there we go what can people look forward to on our kurt angle episode uh we're going to talk about the uh, the three eyes, uh, you know, and we're going to talk about a guy who was especially in the beginning, in his early days, an absolute machine. And whenever you got in the ring and locked up with Kurt Angle, you could tell he was real. He's a guy you didn't want to actually throw down with or piss off because he was he was the real deal. 100%. Make sure you leave those five single, five single, five star reviews as we always encourage you to, especially because uh, – Brad Wise got a t-shirt this past week. You never know when we're going to do another giveaway. I'm sure we'll start off 2023 in style. And I want to uh, ask you real quick here before we wrap up, because I have a special way to wrap us up this week. Uh, Do you have anything else you'd like to add on the extreme life of Matt Hardy, Matt? Uh, No, I just thank you guys for supporting us through this year. And uh, John, let's, uh, let's, let's totally emerge ourselves and let's do it a deep, dive into the year two and make it the best year ever it will be some big things planned for us john cena is known on his twitter for an inspirational quote pretty much every day he posts something inspirational so i'd like to leave our listeners with a john cena quote of the day here matt hardy as we wrap up the extreme life of matt hardy john cena says there will always be so much to do when overwhelmed focus on what's in front of you be present and invest in it until it's time to move on to the next thing. Find the strength to fend off the massive amount of unnecessary distractions out there. And I think that's a pretty great way to start your year off here in 2023, everyone. Focus on what's ahead of you. That's what I'm trying to do. That's what Matt Hardy's trying to do. The words have been spoken. We'll see you next week right here on The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. Adios. I feel strongly that saving money is important. You know, if it's not something to worry about now, boy, we are really going to worry about it later. And I want to help you get out of debt faster and do it with cheaper monthly payments. I'm talking to you if you're in a 30-year loan. Now is the time to take years off of your loan. We're routinely helping our listeners cut 5, 10, even 15 years off their loan. And you can do this without perfect credit, with no money out of pocket. You've just got to start at SaveWithConrad.com.